glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Would you stand please? Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. And he goes on to explain what he's talking about. But for tonight, we're just going to focus on the first three parts of that first verse. O foolish Galatians, that's part number one, who hath bewitched you, part number two, that ye should not obey the truth, part number three. Thank you. You may be seated. As I studied this, it's interesting to find a word like bewitched to a New Testament church. I think it's unique. Later he would say in this book, you did run well, who did hinder you? Meaning you were trucking right along in living a life of obedience to the Lord and all of a sudden that stopped. You stopped living a life consistent with the truth that you've accepted. Uh, We need to ask ourselves tonight, is my life a reflection of what I say I believe concerning the gospel. So let's let's review that. Last week we saw in Galatians chapter 2, Paul said, verse 19, For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. The purpose of the Old Testament law is not to pave a way to heaven, but to show that we're on our way to hell. The Bible could not be clearer. The law was never given to redeem a man, the law was given to bring you to the Redeemer. Now, the the spirit of the law stands. We live in fulfillment of the spirit of the law. But we are in no way duty-bound to the letter of the law. Uh, That's not its intent. And again, I think think well-intended, godly people who are saved have gotten wrapped up in. You hear a lot of of concern over the Ten Commandments. I believe it's good to have the Ten Commandments posted but not as a moral code whereby to conform people to live by. How many understand hanging the Ten Commandments in a courthouse? It's an appropriate place for it. It is because it's there to condemn people. But it is not there as a pathway of life. It's there to reveal we need a Savior. And so the point would be these Galatians at one point in time had been convinced they were justified. You realize now they're not convinced. These Galatians are no longer certain that they are just in the sight of a holy God. That's why they're going back to the law, to try to justify themselves through conforming to the law of Moses, the written commandments there. And let's be very clear. The Bible makes it clear. The law is good. It's not bad. For those who rail on the law today, that's never in your Bible either. Jesus said, think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to... Fulfill. The point is, though, the Galatians had been convinced under the preaching of the Apostle Paul, he did fulfill it. Everything that God demands from mankind, Jesus fulfilled through his life, his death, and his resurrection, uh, his sinless life, his substitutionary death, his resurrection makes him the living Savior, so that now we are not, we don't trust our performance of the law, we trust him who performed it for us. And we obey Him. We serve Him, not in order to be justified, but because He's justified us. That's the gospel. But now they're going back and acting like they're not, they're not saved anymore. 
as though they're striving for some kind of, of perfection by law keeping. And, and Paul is distressed over this. Why have you returned to living like you're, you're not saved when you were sure that you were? There are false gospels that say you're saved by works. There are false gospels that say you're saved by grace and kept by works. That's what the Galatians were dealing with. He will say in the next verse of chapter two or chapter three, verse two, this only would I learn of you, received ye the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Were you keeping the law and by your perfect performance one day the spirit of God says, oh, these people are good enough in performing the law. I can dwell in them. Or did you hear by faith that Christ had come and raised from the dead and that his death was on your behalf and his resurrection life would give you power to live for God? Which was it? Did you receive the Spirit by believing the Word of God preached or by your performance? By what He did for you or what you've done for Him? I'll ask you. When did you receive the Spirit of God? When you learned to perform well enough that the Holy Spirit of God says, Wow, there's one good enough I can dwell in? Or when you said, I'm not good enough, I I claim the blood of Christ, whatever word you used, I'm trusting Christ, and He came because you put your faith in Christ. That's when the Holy Spirit of God came to dwell in you. He didn't say, I tell you what, you want me to save you, you clean up for six months and I'll think about it. No, when you put your faith in Christ, He came to dwell. Your faith in Christ was counted to you for righteousness. One of the best things you can ever learn is the moment you believed God enough, you believed His Word enough to put your personal trust in Jesus Christ, that is the moment He saved you and it was done. That's the Bible message. As long as we waffle on that, if we get focused on, well, did I pray the right prayer? You know we're back to? I believe in praying to accept Christ. I do. But there is no model, these words will save you. It's a person who saves you. And it's heart faith in that person that gives you salvation. Christ will not fail to save the person who trusts him. Amen. These Galatians had done that. Well, then why are they going back and putting confidence in their performance of the law? Because someone had told them trusting Christ alone is not enough. Hear me now. Paul says that's called being bewitched. Now the word bewitched, when I say bewitched, what other word would naturally come to your mind? It's kind of part of this word here. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Witchcraft. It's ironic. Actually, it's not ironic that the next thing he says, who have bewitched you that you should not. What's the next word? Obey. God told Saul through the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 15, remember what Saul had been told to do? Go and destroy all the Amalekites. Kill King Agag, all the Amalekites, all the sheep, all the flocks, everything. And Saul went and obeyed not. Right? And so he went and obeyed not. And that's then that Samuel told him, Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You see how disobedience and witchcraft are all mixed up together? For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Let me ask you something. What would you, how would you look at someone and say, that is a stubborn person? What, what brings a person to that judgment of another human being's activity? They don't answer to us for it, but Can you define stubbornness? And what does stubbornness look like? Is stubbornness, well, a guy goes out and gets drunk every Friday night. Well, maybe. But for Saul, it was in how he executed his religion. 
Was it what Saul did or what Saul wouldn't do that God said, your rebellion is like witchcraft? It's what he wouldn't do. I don't know of any more subtle form of sin than the sin of just not doing. I said this morning, I don't know of anything more plaguing to so many Christians and churches than just negligence. James 4, 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. But here's, here's what we want to find. Why, how do genuine believers get to a place where they were sensitive to the one who saved them, conforming their life in such a way... So for instance, when you get settled, I'm forgiven. My sins are blotted out, I know. When that gets settled, does that propel you into a life of uncertainty or does it make some things clear? Is it clear in our minds how God's children in so many ways should behave themselves? Well, yes, God's character is made known in his word. He communicates that to us. But if you and I are still unsettled as to whether or not we are yet even justified, are you going to say, well, because I'm justified and because I'm a child of God, then I need to obey my father in this area? Or are you going to say, well, I'm not sure I'm there yet. I need to strive at just getting to the point where he'll accept me. Please hear me tonight. People think that when you have assurance of salvation, it will stymie your spiritual growth, give you a license to live an ungodly life, and nothing could be further from the truth. When you know with certainty that Jesus Christ has done what he promised, he's washed your sins away, and you know with certainty who you are in the light of his word, nothing will propel you more to be obedient to him than the understanding that you have not worked for your salvation, but it's been given to you through his mercy and grace. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, in conjunction with what he said in Galatians 2, in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, he says, uh, uh, For the love of Christ constraineth us, for we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which loved them and gave himself for them, died for them. Uh, that's I'm paraphrasing, but the idea is you live for the one who died for you. That's what he's saying in Galatians 2.20. I am living for Christ because I know what he did for me. And we're saying, well, what Christ did wasn't quite enough. Then you know what you're going to focus your attention on? Trying to do enough. And you'll waste your life instead of obeying the Lord and trying to earn God's favor when you've already got it in Christ Jesus. Wasted time. You know what, though, this appeals to what? The spirit or the flesh? Proving to God that I am righteous appeals to which part of me? The flesh. See, when I think of the works of the flesh and you, I would say naturally you think of drunkenness and adultery and all those immoral things, and they are works of the flesh. But do you realize one of the works of the flesh listed in Galatians 5 is witchcraft? Variance? There, there is religion that is very appealing to the flesh because it is our showing God, look how good I am. Look how well I can behave. Look at the good things in my life. And that's what's going on in the church of Galatia. Serious. It was dangerous. They were being taught that, yes, you began in the Spirit by trusting Christ, but you've got to finish by your own performance. Christ got you started on this, but you're going to have to prove you're worthy. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I imagine 60% of acclaimed Christianity teaches some nonsense like this today. And I don't know where I get 60% from. It's a large amount of people who say, we believe the Christian faith. We believe that we're saved uh, by the grace of Christ. And they have to put all their modifications on what grace means. May I remind us tonight, grace is favor from God that we did not earn. Christ earned on our behalf. And listen, there's, there's two ways. To, we'll get into much more. I, I want us to be focused then. Uh, I believe the Lord wants us to be focused tonight on Galatians 3, verse 1, where we're at here. When Paul gives this, what I would call a pretty firm rebuke, 
He says the three things we pointed out. And he says more, but I believe our attention needs to be there tonight. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. He's going to start reeling into the point. He'd written to them, making an argument for his authority to be speaking to them. He's already touching on the issue, dealing with circumcision and what it means and what it doesn't mean and some of those things. And ended Galatians 2 talking about the fact that he was crucified with Christ, that his old man put to death and that Christ, by faith, Christ's death was his own so he could rest in, in full, that his sins had been fully paid for in the work of Christ. And then he could rest in the life of Christ to live in him and empower him to live the life he'd been called to. The life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what he's saying? You get saved by faith, you continue to live by faith. You don't get saved by faith and live by flesh. You get saved by faith and you live by faith. Meaning we trust Christ's death for our forgiveness. We trust Christ's life for our living. It's both. And we rest in him. And So then he goes on, chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, Foolish Galatians. Let's focus on that statement for just a moment, if I may. Why would he call them foolish? What does this word mean? He's not, he's not, he's not angry in the sense of, you bunch of fools. He's saying, Galatians, you're foolish. You, you've been deceived. And so let's notice what the word foolish means. According to Strong's Concordance, it means unintelligent, by implication, sensual. Meaning, you're trusting your senses rather than trusting the word of God. Sensual. That's the idea of what it means. You're trusting your, your impulses, your senses. That's, that's one definition. Uh, strong. Unintelligent. So he's not calling them stupid. There's a difference between stupid and foolish. And he's not using that kind of language. He's not using his tongue to berate them. He's revealing something wrong with them. Does it make sense? You know, he's saying you're not thinking clearly. What's the opposite of folly? Wisdom. These folks lacked wisdom. So we're going to deal with, first of all, in verse 1, their deficiency. Foolishness is nothing more than a lack of wisdom. He said, oh, foolish Galatians. This tells us they were deficient then in their discernment of truth. That's in the context of the book. We'll find someone, because the next thing to say is who? Who? You allowed someone to deceive you, and so... They were not discerning when they heard a message. They were not discerning enough to say, that's not true. And I say Satan and his forces and his workmen are working overtime today to teach us to make discernments like this and say, that message that we're hearing is an absolute error. We have had preaching at us overtime to say, Foul, you're not allowed to do that. You can't say anything that anybody else believes is not true that's disrespectful. We hear that in our culture. We hear it coming even from people who claim to be Christians. Christian, listen tonight. We must be discerning between truth and error. This is something the Lord's really in a personal way dealt with me about this week. I really, be honest with you, as God was speaking to me this week in my personal walk with him about some of these things, I didn't really think about what I'd be preaching tonight. And as I'm preparing this message, I'm realizing, oh, wow, the Lord was really doing a work in my own heart. You can talk to my wife. We talked about this this week, about how dangerous it is to believe lies. I believe one of the things that Christians must be discerning about coming out of COVID and all that surrounded it is is it is incumbent upon us to, number one, try the spirits, whether they be of God. 
I cannot tell you about every person involved because there are some people well-intended and all of those things surrounding COVID. COVID is a big word that covers a lot of ground. I can tell you this. The spirit that pressed most decisions was not of God. It was a spirit of fear, spirit of antichrist, meaning disregard anything but what we tell you. Now, we must never, listen, you and I as Christians must never pick up a spirit of rebellion that's not of God. But I believe it is a sin for us to believe a lie. We are to be discerning. We are to prove all things. And the Galatians had failed. Hear me tonight. The Galatians had failed to do the due diligence to prove what they were being taught as true or false. It is the duty of every Christian to know the truth of God. And you have to grow in this. We don't expect baby Christians to be good at this. They have to grow. They have to be taught. This is what God says, so this cannot be true. We all do this in mathematics. You're working a mathematical equation, and we'll just keep it simple for people like me tonight. And part of that equation is 2 plus 2 equals 4. And so you're looking at an answer, and you go, that answer can't be right. Because it has 2 plus 2 equaling 5, and that can't be. By a process of elimination, we know that answer is faulty because it doesn't line up with the one I know is true. The best way to know that 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 5, and it doesn't equal 7, it doesn't equal 3, it doesn't equal 4.1, it equals 4. So the best way to rule out all those answers is you know the truth. It's no different spiritually. Someone says, well... You are saved by grace, but what that means is that God does whatever you can't do. So you work your hardest. I mean, you know, Jim and Jeff, here we go. The good book says God helps them that help themselves. Actually, it doesn't say that. Amen? Not anywhere. It doesn't say it anywhere. But people believe it says that. And they say, well, by the way, Whose doctrine did I just espouse? You do all you can. And the grace of God kicks in when you've done all you can do. So if you can only run to the 50-yard line, God will take you from the 50 to to the touchdown line. But you've got to do your best if you want God to help you. It's Mormonism. And yet there's brands and varieties of that in many supposed Christian denominations. You've got to do your best. Then it's not grace. If God is saying, my grace kicks in when you've done all you can, then it's not grace. Because you're still earning His grace. Amen? Eh, doesn't work that way. That is, listen, that is false. That's not a different truth. It's not a different version of the truth. It's false. And I fear and I concern that so many Christians believe when it comes to math, there's absolute facts. When it comes to scientific things, there's absolute facts. When it comes to spiritual things, really everybody's got a different viewpoint. Why do we do that? Because the spiritual is what matters most. You know what? You can die a pauper intellectually, but as long as you know God's word is true, you are rich in eternal things. You can, you can die a pauper physically, but as long as you know that what God says is true, you can die with riches. And what Paul says is you Galatians are foolish. You are lacking wisdom that you ought to have. You are deficient. You should have discerned when these Judaizers came and started telling you, no, no, your faith in Christ is not enough. Now, it's not right. It's not bad to have faith in Christ. We're glad you have faith in Christ, but that faith in Christ won't do you any good if you don't couple it with circumcision. It won't do any good if you don't start keeping the Sabbath. Remember, it is in the Ten Commandments. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And if you don't, you're not a true Christian, meaning you're not justified in the sight of God. It's not enough. Listen tonight, I believe there are things Christians ought to do because we love the Lord. But I'm going to tell you this, even if you're not doing them, and I'm not encouraging disobedience, but even if you're not doing them, if you have come to faith in Christ, He did His part. He saved your soul. God keeps His word. You say, Pastor, you're encouraging people to live unholy lives. I am not. If Jesus Christ saved you and you don't live with all your heart for Him, you, that is between you and God. And you're going to be sorry someday you didn't. But He saved you if you trusted Him to save you. You know why we can say that? Because the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with a heart man believeth unto righteousness and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The point is this. God honors sincere faith. Now you say, what if the faith isn't sincere? Then God knows that. But we need not get into this whole... There are so many varieties of works gospels tonight. And and by the way, before we're done with Galatians, you'll find believing that you are once and for all and finally saved by faith in Christ alone does not become a permission slip to live loose and footloose and fancy free. Quite the opposite. Nothing will bind you to holiness more than knowing that He and He alone saved you. Amen. And so Paul says, you foolish Galatians. What do you mean? You're deficient in the discernment of truth and therefore you are deficient in your defense against error. Wisdom is a defense. It's a defense. Christian, you need to be able to recognize a lie when you hear it. You need to be able to say, that's not true. Listening to a very famous preacher, and if I felt it was needful for the context tonight, I would say his name. It's not. Listen to a very famous preacher explain this weekend in a, in a sermon, just a snippet of it. Someone sent it and shared it with me. It was explaining how that God saves you, God regenerates you with irresistible grace on your life without anything on your part. It, it is not some kind of interchange between God and man. God solely of His own will and desire saved you and regenerated you so that you could come to faith. Let me test what I just said. Amen. Faith is first. This is true. Because that's what God's Word says. In John 1, 12, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, the Spirit of God took explicit time to outline the order in which this thing happens. You heard, you believed, and then you were sealed with the Spirit. Now, why would, why would the Holy Spirit of God take such time to articulate the order in which we're saved? So you and I can hear the doctrine of Calvinism and go, no, that's not right. You say, Pastor, are you saying all Calvinists are lost? No, no more than I think the Galatians were lost. Paul did say, I stand in doubt of you. What's going on with you? If you truly believe the gospel, why are you changing your mind? He would challenge, if, it's, if Paul be the author of Hebrews chapter 6, in chapter 6, he would, he would challenge those who had said they believed and then were, were not continuing to believe in salvation by grace. And he said, and yet we're persuaded better things of you. Though we speak thus, meaning I'm not challenging saying you're not saved. I'm saying there's something wrong if you're saved by grace that you're now saying you're saved by works. There's something wrong with that. And so the deficiency of the Galatians, listen, I believe there's a theme today 
The Spirit of God would challenge Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church. You need to know the Word of God so that when someone is preaching and teaching a lie to you, you can pick up on it and say, that's not right and I'm not going to accept that. Why? Because it will bewitch you. Now let's think about that for just a moment. So we've dealt with our first point. I'm going to read a couple of verses before we move on to point number two. The deficiency of the Galatians is seen in the term foolish. They were deficient in wisdom, which means they were deficient in the discernment of the truth and the discernment of error, and therefore they were deficient in their defense against error. False teachers had succeeded at coming into the churches of the Galatians, and the Galatians had accepted their doctrine. Listen, false teachers will come in and out of this church. They will. There are people attending this church right now whose doctrine is wrong. You need to know your Bible well enough to say, I don't believe that. Amen? If they're a wolf, we'll run them off as fast as we can. If they're a misguided sheep, we want to help them. If they're a goat, we want to see them get saved. (laughs) You with me tonight? But the fact of the matter is, it's the duty of the church membership to say, we're going to know the Word of God so that if a preacher or a teacher or this pastor starts teaching error, you can say that's not, that's not true because this is true. There are never two contradicting truths. Amen. And so then, Proverbs 22, verse 3 said, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. A prudent man has the discernment to say, that's leading somewhere I don't want to go. You want to test a doctor and see where it's going to lead you. Where's it going to take you? Is it going to bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life or is it going to cultivate pride in your heart? Any doctrine that cultivates pride cannot be of the Lord if that's the fruit of the doctrine. Okay, We have to try these things. And so a prudent man perceiveth evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are. You know, Another word for simple is it's folly. You're deficient in wisdom if that's the case. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. This is We referenced this this morning. Hebrews chapter 5, the, the penman here again, giving me a pretty strong rebuke to the believers here. It says in verse 11, and he's rebuking them for the same things the Galatians were being rebuked for because the same problem was present in Hebrews. There were those who misunderstood the purpose of the law, misunderstood the intent of the law, and had not divorced themselves from Judaism in the sense that Judaism had been, it, had, it was done, it was fulfilled, Christ I had broken down the wall of partition between the Jew and the Gentile and so forth. So Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, of whom we have many things to say. Talking about Melchizedek there in the Old Testament. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers. He said you ought to have enough wisdom and understanding of the word to be able to teach others the truths of God's word. Ye have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. For strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil being filled with the knowledge of God through the knowledge of His Word. We're not just talking about head knowledge here. We're talking about the Lord teaching you from Scripture His own mind. I mean, I believe God's still able to do that. I'll say what I said this morning. Many feel that God has checked out of this thing and He leaves us to just try to figure it out the best way we can. No, the Bible says He gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us into all... Well, that's a strong word. Truth. It means there's definitive facts how many of us understand you cannot be saved by grace 
and justified by grace if you're justified by works. Romans makes that abundantly clear. You may justify yourself by works in the sight of another man, but you'll never do it in the sight of God. That's clear in God's word. And yet there are those who are adding works to grace to say that's how we're justified. And Paul says you've got to be more discerning than that to the Galatians. He warns them uh, that they were deficient in wisdom. And so that will bring us to our next point. So the deficiency of the Galatians, deficient in the discernment of truth, deficient in the discernment of error, deficient then in their defense against error. May I, may I say this? I'll, I'll get to the second point. I believe this because of the, the condition of the world we're in and because of the level of deception there is in our world. If you don't bolster your spiritual defenses by being filled with the knowledge of God and His Word, it is only a matter of time until you're deceived by some false teacher. The only people that are going to stand with the Lord in this time and not be defeated are those who are firmly fixed in the Word of God. Here's why. Because there are many deceivers, the Bible says. Evil men and seducers, it'll get better and better. No, they'll wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We live in a world that is ruled by the prince of the power of the air, do we not? But God has aptly equipped us to overcome his lies. How many of us know what the the fiery darts of the devil are? What are the fiery darts? They're lies. They're concepts that that seem to be true, but they're packed with lies. Fiery means poisonous. When you accept them, they'll gnaw on you. They'll chew on you. They'll eat away at your faith. The only way to, 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 to quench them is the shield of faith. I'll trust what God says because what that is saying is not in line with what this says. And I'll cast that down, that idea, that belief, that philosophy, that doctrine. I'll, how many of us know there are doctrines of devils. You and I need to be able to recognize them. Of course, doctrines of devils always show up like this. Hey, here's a concept I want to teach you. I was taught it by a demon. Let me teach it to you. Never, never. It's, you know, you misunderstand the scripture. You got, you got this way about you. You guys take the Bible too literally. Let me show you something you've probably never seen. Careful when you hear that. The things I'm preaching to you you know what, if the things that are being preached in this church are unique, it is only because you never heard them before, not because some preacher before me never preached them before. It's right out of the Bible. And look out for someone that says, I have such a unique take on the Bible that probably no one else will tell you this. Bing, 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 look out! If they can't just open up the Bible and show you in plain speech what God has to say, what they're going to say is, well, you know, and I always have some reason why... Their doctrine, though it's not plain in Scripture, oh, it's superior. And so then the deficiency of the Galatians, they were deficient in discerning the truth, deficient in discerning error, and therefore they were deficient in their defense against error. Point number two, the deception. We see the deficiency of the Galatians, oh, foolish Galatians. The deception of the Galatians, he said, who hath bewitched you? What's the first word there? Let's not miss it. Who? Deception comes through people. People are generally the tool that Satan uses to deceive us. Brother Eric and I we were talking on the phone the other day, and I've had other, heard other pastors discuss this, and it's just true. One of the most difficult things we're dealing with, and he's dealing with it in real time, is how many people there, that you can be influenced by in your spiritual life in the day that we have today with our technology. 
when, when, and there's always been multiple deceivers, and in the old days, the Bible days, they just traveled around. They made their circuits and went to this church and then that church, infiltrating with their error. Today, turn on your computer, turn on your phone, turn on the radio, turn on the television, turn on some device that will tap you into some spiritual instructor and you've got somebody teaching you what you ought to believe. I mean, I say this. I believe there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. I don't believe every radio preacher is your pastor. No. God gave a pastor of this church and this church where God gave you and God gave you a pastor. Someone to watch for your soul. The guy on the radio is not watching for your soul. He may be a good guy. And you, I, I listen to preachings. One of the things Brother Derek and I were talking to. I listen to preachers. I've had preachers this week help me abundantly. Some through email. Some through a podcast. Uh, some through a conversation on the phone. This in the last few weeks, I mean, I've been helped abundantly by other men who are preaching the word. And I need what they're preaching. And you need more preaching than just what you hear here. So let me be careful how I say this, but also be careful that the person out there that's going to promote a doctrine that's going to say, wow, that's that's a neat take. Because here's what the word bewitched means. Let me read this to you. To bewitch means, according to Strong's, to malign by extension to fascinate by false representations to fascinate by false representations. How many of you have ever watched a magician show? It is fascinating. It's fascinating to watch material things disappear before your eyes, isn't it? If any of you have ever watched it, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, how did, that defies my logic. I know he just had that thing in that hat, but when he thumped the hat, it won't come out. Wow, he made it disappear. No, he didn't. Sleight of hand made you think that it disappeared. Hear me now. For every cheap magician trying to make a buck at a carnival, there are serious deceivers in this world who will defy reason from Scripture, but you'll say, but I I can't help but what they're saying or how they're coming across. Deceivers are fascinating. Ooh, they they got a fascinating way of dealing with the Bible. That's interesting. I'm going to tell you something. God's ways are not intended to fascinate you. They're intended to strengthen you. They're intended to build your faith and confidence in Him. They're intended to produce the fruits of righteousness in your life. Not entertain us. Entertainment may have its place. There's not much of it. But God's Word, it's not so fascinating. Error is always fascinating. Ooh, that's interesting. That's an interesting concept. Uh, there's an, an, an arising today of, of preaching that we live on a flat earth. And I'm telling you, there are people that are angry over this thing. You don't believe in flat earth, you're probably not saved. I kid you not. How in the world? You know what? I don't care. If the earth is flat, good. I'll be raptured from a flat earth. I could not care less. All the people on this earth are dying and going to hell because they're rejecting God's Son. That's what matters. You want to debate over a flat earth? I'm going to tell you behind the flat earth theory is some seducer who had some fascinating thing to say. And here was someone that was sincere, seeking the mind of God in prayer, seeking the mind of God through the Word of God, getting involved in their local church, learning how to give the gospel until they learned that all the deceivers believe in a round earth. Now I say, who bewitched you that you should get off course and quit serving your Savior? I'm out there teaching that 
Repentance is a work of the flesh. Turn them off, the deceivers. The deception of the Galatians is someone bewitched them. The point is, it was someone. <laughs> that doesn't mean you walk around afraid of everybody. That's not the point. The point is, just like God uses people, Satan uses people. He uses people. Second Corinthians 11 fills us in on the kind of people he uses. He generally doesn't use someone who doesn't claim to be a Christian. One of my concerns today is that we're just supposed to take any and all claims of being a brother or sister as out. That's it. Now, don't misunderstand me. No, we're not afraid of everybody. That's not the point. But Satan used false teachers, people who claim to be fellow believers, to the Galatians, to bewitch them. The source of their bewitching was other people who claim to be fellow believers. And then the seduction in it, the word seduce means to draw aside or entice from the path of rectitude and duty in any manner, by flattery, by promises, bribes, or otherwise, to tempt and lead to iniquity, to corrupt or to deprave. Webster's 1828 dictionary defines to bewitch this way, to fascinate, to gain an ascendancy over someone else or over by charms and incantation or incantation. Um, there's some old definitions that used to be used about evil spirits harming people. The, the definition means to charm, to fascinate, to please to such a degree as to take away the power of resistance. What do you think is one of the number one things people... I, there, there are people, I think of a preacher right now, and if you call this preacher out, you're going to get... Because he teaches error. He teaches Calvinism, number one. Number two, he teaches that the blood of Jesus Christ is nothing more than a symbol of his death. But this gentleman is too big to call out. He's very liked, very respected. 95% of what he's going to say is going to be accurate. But the rest of it that he's teaching is not. And it's hurting Christians. It has opened the door for Calvinism to sweep through churches. And hear me well, Calvinism kills zeal for evangelistic work according to the Bible. Even those who are Calvinists who do evangelistic work do more debate and argument than they do preaching the gospel. It's a deadly doctrine. And yet this one man and others like him have opened the door so that it's not about, well, what about he said this? It's not true. But he's such a wonderful man. He's taken so many true stands for God. He's so well-educated in the things of God. He's fascinating. He's got a draw. Listen, we don't stand for truth because of the personality of the truth teller. You know one of the reasons I think Paul was often dismissed? He said he was rude in speech. That doesn't mean rude like we mean rude. It means he wasn't a good speaker by his own estimation. Others were. False teachers are generally very good at communicating so good that they can conceal the truth and conceal their lives behind supposed truths. And so then the seduction here that we see of these believers, they were bewitched. The word is used intentionally because they were charmed or fascinated by someone enough that that person gained their confidence, not because the message the person was saying true, but because the person was charming and fascinating. You with me? Beware. Our determination of what we're going to believe has nothing to do with whether it charms us or fascinates us, it is it true according to God's word. The only way to do that is to know the word of God. Amen? And so then, the source was who? Paul knew 
someone had come into those churches and was propagating false doctrine and had been so charming. Look, there are people that are impressive. There are people that can charm you because of their abilities in this life. There are people that are charming because of their possessions. There are people that are fascinated. How many of you have been fascinated by somebody because of just the cool stuff they have? I have. Man, that's cool. How about all their abilities? Wow, that's cool. That's not the measure of who we listen to. How about their following? How many know that someone with a big following can be fascinating? Wow. Uh, but that's not, that's not the measure. The measure is, is it true from the Word of God? The Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica that they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. I mean, they said the Scripture is the authority, and if what Paul said is not what Scripture says, it's not so. That's called Christian nobility. Amen? The Galatians were not noble. They were believers, but not noble ones. They were willing to listen and believe some people because the people were fascinating, because the people were charming. Beware. Beware. Ask yourself, why am I listening to that person? Why? God's made me the way he's made me. I, I cannot preach whispering. I just, I, I'm not going to try. That's not who I am. But I'd hate to think people come to listen and they say, boy, oh, the passion of that preacher. No, no. The truth of the message. There are other preachers cannot, they can't shout. I knew of a preacher. He literally wrote all his notes out and read them. He was a blessing to me. He taught me many things. Great preacher. I wouldn't preach his style. He told me, he was an older man, he said, you've got to quit shouting. You're going to ruin your voice. You won't be preaching when you're my age. I don't know what to do. <laughs> i got to be who God made me to be. The point is this. That has nothing to do with it. Truth. Truth. Listen, there are men that have washed out of the ministry. They got out of God's will. But there was a time they were preaching the truth. You know what some have done? Because that preacher washed out, they rejected everything that preacher used to preach. What about when he was preaching the truth? You think Demas ever preached the truth? I'll guarantee you he did. He washed out, but he'd been preaching the truth. The truth didn't change because Demas changed. Truth is truth. The Galatians need to be more noble, and so do you and I. We need to understand we are soldiers for the truth. And the truth is what God says. Not what I think. Not what somebody else thinks, not some person's unique understanding of the Bible, but what thus saith the Lord. I believe this with all of my being. God's word is not so hard to understand as so many make it out to be. I understand there's parts in there difficult to understand. Paul said that, or Peter said that, or Peter at Paul's writings. Some Some things, some things, not even most things, hard to be understood. But this idea today that, wow, because of so many varying views of the Bible, it's just difficult to know what God really meant. Hogwash and nonsense. He's living to interpret his own word. All we need to do is be surrendered to him, receive what he has to say, and we'll be growing and strong in him and in the power of his might. All right, deficiency of the Galatians. They were deficient in their discernment of truth and error, deficient against the error that they faced, uh, in their defense against it, their deception. There was a source. Who, Paul says. You did run to well. Who? Why would Paul say that? Before we move on, why would Paul ask them who? Let me ask you this. If you showed up, I, I noticed in our community, I think that is it salmonella that's going around? A few people have had some salmonella poisoning from eggs, I think it is. And the panel health has warned about it, and it's, I don't think it's major, but you know what they want to do? You know the first things they're going to do? Find the source. Where's that coming from? 
Paul says who, because he says, I want you Galatians to pin down who it is that's poisoning you so you can cut it off. He'll use that term, you got to cut it off. And so then, that's their deception. The source, who? The seduction, they were bewitched. And again, now we bring to our, our third point. The, we've seen the deficiency of the Galatians, the deception of the Galatians. Thirdly, the disobedience of the Galatians. There was a time when they were listening to the Holy Spirit of God and living lives that demonstrated the truth of the gospel. Now they're going back to the law. You know what it's saying? Christ's sacrifice is not enough. The life they were saying was disobedient. They were not manifesting confidence in Christ. They were manifesting confidence in their performance of God's laws. And they were living a life of disobedience to the gospel, a life that undermined the gospel. The Spirit of God would never lead you and I. We can deny Him, but He cannot deny Himself. And He will not lead you to live a life that makes the gospel seem false. So let me give you an example tonight. Because we don't want to just... People love to lock in on Galatians and say, it's just about the law. It's about getting led astray from the truth of the gospel. And tonight there are folks that say, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So what became new since you got saved? Well, I tell you what's new. Now I know I'm going to heaven. Wonderful. What else? Well, nothing. I mean, I still live in the same sin I did before. I still enjoy it. I still feel I'm, I'm fine with it. You know what that's saying? That the gospel is not the power of God to transform and to save. I'd ask myself this question. Is the Spirit of God is going to lead you through His Word into a life that is consistent with everything He says? And the Galatians were now living a life that contradicted what he said. He said we're justified by faith. Their lives were saying, no, we're justified by works. And so there's two sides to that. We can go back to rigid legalism, a keeping of the law. We can say, I'm saved by grace. I can live wherever I want. And Paul will deal with both of those in the book of Galatians. Neither is true. And so then the disobedience of the Galatians, here's what happens. When you and I believe a lie, believing lies produces rebellion. It's a Bible principle. Belief of lies produces rebellion. And so then, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? So the truth is before you, but you're not... Let me, let me give you the definition of the word obey here. To convince by argument, true or false, by analogy, it means to pacify because it's used broadly in a number of different ways. Uh, to pacify or conciliate, but it means this. Um, to agree, to assure to believe, to have confidence or be confident, to obey, to persuade, to trust. The idea of not obeying here was not so much of a specific commandment being disobeyed, but you're not obeying, you're not living a life in confidence in the gospel. You're not obeying the gospel. You're not submitting to its authority in your life. According to the gospel, you are saved. But your life is saying you're working at getting saved. We can say affirmatively, a Bible that would change that verse to say that the preaching of the cross is unto us which are being saved, the power of God, is a mistranslation. How can we say that? Because it changes the truth of the gospel. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He that hath the Son will have life. Let's test this tonight. There are many people, including people who claim to be born again, who say, well, you'll know whether or not you have eternal life once you die. No, that's a lie. That's saying you're working at it. That's a slap in the face of the gospel. 
The gospel, here's the good news. Trust Jesus who came and lived a sinless life and died for you and raised the dead. Trust Him, and if you obey Him perfectly, you'll get in. That's not good news. That's horrible news. Because let's just be honest. How many of you, from the day you trusted Him, have obeyed Him perfectly? You're in trouble. My obedience in yours is not a means of salvation. It's an evidence of it. I obey from the confidence, the obedience to the gospel. The gospel is Christ is the Savior. His righteousness, His death, His resurrection, and that alone, it's enough. The sufficiency of Christ is the message of the gospel. So their disobedience, number one, let's deal with this. He said, who hath bewitched with you that ye should not obey the truth? You know what that tells me? They knew the truth. They knew the truth. And they had accepted something in its place. Paul is saying, when he said the truth, he's just dealt with the truth, that we are crucified with Christ and we live by the faith of Christ. He's dealt with that truth. And he said, who bewitched you for you not to obey the truth? You know the truth about salvation. You know the truth of the gospel. Why is your life not reflecting that? Why are you not obeying it? Why are you not confident in the truth? And so then, they had a comprehension. It was So what I'm trying to say to you is their folly was not ignorance. They knew the truth. They had believed a lie in place of the truth. And then their conduct, he said, who, should, uh, who has bewitched you that you should not obey? Meaning it was evident to Paul in the, the Galatians' actions revealed their change of doctrine. Agreed? Their actions changed their doctrine. Let me ask you this. If I said, said Pastor, how, how's, how's prayer been this week? So you know... The Lord has given me a liberating truth. I don't need to pray. I have an intercessor. He prays for me. And I've got a hold of this wonderful truth that because the Holy Spirit intercedes on my behalf with groanings which cannot be uttered, that as a Christian I don't need to pray. So I've just given it up. It's very difficult. It's laborious. It's legalism. I don't need to pray to be saved. And so, hey, I'm free from prayer. (laughs) And I can prove to you I have an intercessor Christ intercedes for me, Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit of God intercedes for me. Hebrews chapter 7 says He intercedes for me. So why do I need to pray? He's praying on my behalf. I've got things. Look, you know how many hours I've wasted trying to pray if I had realized this wonderful liberating truth sooner? I could have been free and had more mornings for myself to, uh, to serve God doing other things. You with me tonight? If all of a sudden you see my prayer life goes away, and by the way, it'll show up because of the sin that creeps into my life, Watch you and pray lest you enter into temptation. And so all of a sudden you see my change of conduct. You know I changed my doctrine. You with me? You know change of belief is manifest in change of conduct. That's what Paul's saying. You've stopped obeying the truth. It wasn't so much what the Galatians had started doing, but what they had stopped doing. They had been living lives with absolute confidence that they were righteous in Christ Jesus, but not now. Now they're circumcising their children. Now they're implementing Sabbath into their worship. Now they're going back to the feasts and all these kind of things. And he says, "Uh uh-uh, there was a time when you knew that was not necessary to make you righteous with God. You didn't worry about it. Who bewitched you that you would believe something wrong? They knew the truth but they believe the lie instead of the truth. You remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians? He said to the, the Corinthian church, I fear that as the serpent beguiled Eve, so he would beguile you of your simplicity that is in Christ. Simplicity means the singularity of Christ alone for your righteousness. He said, I'm worried about that. And you think about what Eve did in the garden. We dealt with this a couple weeks in Sunday school, and I'm about done here tonight. 
Eve knew the truth about that fruit, did she not? God said not to eat it lest she would die. And yet Satan came along and he seduced her. He bewitched her. She, she knew the truth. That fruit is forbidden because God loves me and he doesn't want me to have the experience of the evil that comes from it. He warned me about it. I know the truth. But Satan came along and got her to believe a, a lie. Eve had been operating consistently with God's will and Lucifer, that old serpent, came along and he said, if God said you should not, hath God said you should not eat of every fruit of the tree of the garden, insinuating that God was some restrictive monster. He's, a, he's accusing him from the word go. He's a slanderer. And Eve said, well, we can't eat of all but not this one. And you know how the story goes. He convinced her that eating the fruit was not only something okay, but was better than not eating it. And when he got her to believe the lie, she rebelled. She knew God doesn't want me to eat that fruit, but I believe that eating it would be better than not eating it, so I'm going to disobey God because I believe it will be good for me. Believing lies produces rebellion. Let's look at a couple of verses more as we conclude tonight, if you would. Jeremiah chapter 28. Jeremiah chapter 28. There were some people in Jeremiah's day convincing them. Jeremiah was preaching... The judgment was coming on the nation of Judah because of their disobedience. They had, had Manasseh had spilled and shed innocent blood in the streets and God had promised judgment. They had not let the land rest as he had commanded and God says, we 70 years of captivity. Jeremiah was weeping and preaching this to people. Along come some prophets that say, no, 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 no. Jeremiah is lying to you. All will be well. Within a year, everything will be back to normal. And so who do the people believe? The liars, God said, if the Babylonians come, you might as well surrender. They're God's judgment. Had they believed the truth, what would they have done? They would have went out and surrendered. But because they believed the lie, they disobeyed and rebelled. One of those prophets uh, is dealt with here, Hananiah, Jeremiah 28, verse 15. Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah. The Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest this people to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee off from the face of the earth. This year thou shalt die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. You hear me often because of what we're dealing with in churches in America today, and really worldwide, you hear me often warning of this doctrine of radical grace, or of whatever you want to call it, this liberty that because God loves you and His ultimate goal is your happiness, any kind of life that would restrict you from what you really want to do in your heart can't be of God. You've heard the warning, here's why. Because you know what happens? When we live lives of obedience to the Lord because we know we're saved, you know what it demonstrates? It demonstrates the gospel truth. We are saved not by good works, but unto good works. And that demonstrates the power of the gospel. When God took us, look, before we got saved, what we live by, lust or the word of God? This new gospel says, because you're in Christ justified by faith alone, you really, God won't see anything you do as sinful. You're in Him. You're righteous in Christ. So really, if your heart desires it, go for it. That's from God. You're safe. So really, any desire in your heart, it's from God. Relax with God. Enjoy. 
pursue your passions and incorporate missions into your own passions. You know what I'm saying? Follow your lusts. Oh, they'll never say it that plainly. But you look at the fruit of their ministries, and it's follow your lust. Man preaching like this over a few years ago in Seattle named Mark Driscoll. Beer gardens on the church grounds at his pastor's fellowships, cursing and swearing over the pulpit. You know what that is? That's to say, the Bible says God saved me from that. And if I know I'm saved, I know I'm free from that, not free to it. You see what I'm saying? This goes a couple of different ways as we apply the truth tonight. And here's what God would have us know. Know the truth. Know what God's done for you by confidence in the gospel. If God saved you, you're a child of God. Before we got saved, we lived by our lust. Now that we're saved, we live according to his will. That's why we knew we needed to get saved. And so then we'll deal with the specifics of what was going on in Galatia and taking them back under the law. Here's what's interesting. Licentiousness and legalism have the same basis. Flesh. Please let me say that again. Licentiousness, meaning what I just talked about with this radical grace, and legalism. You're saved by your conformity, by your conformity to the commandments of God. That's what makes you righteous. They have the exact same underpinning. Phariseeism and Sadduceeism, they were polar opposites on their doctrines, but they had the exact same foundation. Flesh. It's about what we can naturally do. And so then, both are wrong. And here's what I want to I close with this, this, this truth tonight. For the child of God, how, how probable is it that in your Christian life someone's going to try to bewitch you? As probable as it is that you're sitting here. Someone is going to try to bewitch you. Notice this, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. The Bible says, be not deceived. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. God says, be not deceived. Galatians 6, 7 says, be not deceived. Matthew 24, 4. Jesus answered, said, take heed that no man deceive you. Mark 13, 5. He said, take heed lest any man deceive you. Romans 16, 18. He says that by good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.18, let no man deceive himself. Ephesians 4.14, he says that uh, we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, uh, uh, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Ephesians 5.6, let no man deceive you. 2 Thessalonians 2.3, let no man deceive you. 1 John 3.7, let no man deceive you. Do you know how many verses I just read? Direct instruction from the Spirit of God. Don't let a man deceive you. You think God's concerned that we wouldn't let people deceive us? May I say this? With by God's grace and the heart that He's put in me, my heart's desire is that the people and the Christians, the believers in this church would be so equipped, not just through the preaching, but through your personal walk with God, coupled with the preaching and teaching, that when some deceiver comes along, you'd say, no, that is not right. That if I'm gone... As I'll be in the next few weeks and some guy walks in here and says, Hey, you know, we really love your pastor. And I'm, I doubt he would mind, but let me talk to you about this doctrine. You need to be savvy enough in the Word of God. Not savvy from a fleshly sense, but a spiritual sense to say, mm, what that meant. And you know what? And say it. If they're saying it's not true, tell them. So no, what you just said is not true. What you just said is not true. Nothing will defend a church more than being grounded in what is true. Then when the deceivers come along, but may, may we know this, it is our responsibility not to be deceived. Amen. I hope it's helpful to you tonight. I hope it helps equip us to say, okay, okay, I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to be on guard against men deceiving me, against being bewitched by some fascinating 
craftsmen of lies. We're to put on the whole armor of God that we may resist the devil. And the Satan is throwing lies at us as fast as he can. And it's our job to be equipped and armed against them.